Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regards to the works of man, by the words of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. They close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword, from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their womb with treasure, they are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their infants. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. So we know that Psalm 17 is a Psalm of David. David wrote this, but we don't know exactly the context of what he was dealing with when he wrote this, but a lot of guys, a lot of scholars are going to guess when this is when David is on the run from Saul. It fits so perfectly with kind of what he's crying out. I mean, this is a lament. This is an innocent man lamenting that he is being falsely attacked and wrongly accused. So if you've ever felt that, if you've ever felt kind of falsely attacked that you are unjustly suffering, this psalm is speaking directly to you. Because that's what David went through. David was anointed to be the king, but he wasn't king yet. And so there was King Saul who was on the throne. And now that David is blessed by God, he is having great success. And so King Saul in his insecurity sees all of David's success and he's like, hey, I got a plan. Let's kill David. David's like, hey, why don't we spitball? Maybe let's brainstorm some other ideas, you know? But what else can David do? The king is now trying to kill him. He goes on the run. And David, multiple times in his life, is in the wilderness. He's literally hiding in caves as the king of his country is trying to hunt him down and kill him. That's probably, you know, kind of the context he's dealing with. If not, this psalm fits so perfectly. So here we are, David, and here's kind of the flow of the psalm. It's pretty simple to follow it. David is crying out for the first five verses, his own innocence. And did you see that? He said, I have not strayed from your path. And that's why, you know, this is so difficult. David's like, I don't deserve this. I'm trying to follow you. Ryder didn't deserve that. And that's why we rail against it. When we experience what we think to be unjust suffering. And that's what David knows. He knows, look, in this situation, David's not perfect, but he is innocent, and he knows that his enemies are guilty. The next six verses through there, he talks about their wickedness. 
He calls them the lurking lion trying to attack him. He's like, look, I know I don't deserve this, and I know this is messed up what is happening to me. And that's kind of the next couple verses. And then ultimately David is going to pray out for his deliverance. So David, again, this isn't just a praise of how excited he is. This is David lamenting the horrible, hard situation he is in. And I think this has been a focus in churches, and I think rightfully so. It's a good focus, because in churches, as Christians, we need to learn to lament. We're going through difficult things. Do you know how to, in a biblical healing way, do you know how to lament? This is what David is showing us, and what I hope we can learn this morning is learning to lament. And he teaches us three things I hope we can glean. How to cry out, how to concentrate on, and how to ultimately find contentment from. Talking about cries, concentration, and contentment. Three C's, write them down. That's where we're going. David, in the midst of this trial cries out to God. Did you notice kind of the tagline on all this psalm series? This is the slide we've been using. Psalms, our hearts cry out. I mean, this in every single psalm should be one of the takeaways and applications because that's what the psalms are. It is a prayer guide that teaches us how to cry out to God, and that is what David is doing. You see, that's how he starts. He starts with, I cry out, attend to my cry. I call upon you. Answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. He is crying out. Do you know how to do that? This word here for cry, when he says, attend to my cry, it is not just like some of you during the video, like just a nice little... This is a cry. This word oftentimes can be also translated as a shout, as a yell. The word he uses for cry is also used of like a battle cry. Like out on the battlefield, like, like that kind of yelling. God, where are you? Do you know how to do that? Do you know how to just lay it out before God? We need, in learning to lament, how to have loud prayers. I'm convinced of this. Loud prayers bring quiet peace. Do you want to have that calm, that quiet peace in your life? I think it starts with loud prayers. I think Jesus modeled this for us. I mean, he would toil. I mean, he would literally sweat blood in prayers. And he would have it out with his heavenly father. And then at at life, he was at peace. How often do we reverse it? Our lives are so loud and full of anxiety and fears, and we have nice, quiet prayers. Oh, God, please bless me. Please help me get this. I would a million times over prefer that we as Christians know how to have real, raw prayers, not sterile religious prayers. How can you read the Psalms and not see God's invitation to cry out to him? Do you know how to do that, to lament that way where you just have loud prayers? And some of you, I think that loud is like literal. Like some of you in the thick of it need to get in your basement, close the door, and just yell to God. 
Maybe go out in the woods. Make sure no one's around. It'll be weird if they walk up on you. And just literally just shout to God how desperately you need him. But loud, it doesn't necessarily literally have to be volume, right? Maybe you just need to come out of this and to just journal or however your prayer life looks and to just real, raw, authentic, boldly. I mean, he's telling God what to do. God, rise, hear me. Do you feel comfortable to do that? I think we should. And have these loud prayers to bring that quiet peace. And I love this quote. I think it's so true. Fears that have become prayers are already more than half conquered. Right? If you don't get anything else I said, if you just kind of get that, that you know you need to cry out to God, man, that alone is half the battle, and I don't even know how it's going to work out for you. I want us to do that. So I want us to have loud prayers. So as we're learning to lament, there's two things I hope we learn. One, the volume, but two, the direction of our prayers. We brought in kind of Leanne from Free to Be Ministries, and she pointed out this verse to our staff. And I hope you understand the distinction between this and the direction of our prayers. Because I think this is so powerful from the prophet Hosea. They do not cry to me from the heart but they wail upon their beds. Do you see the difference there? Everybody going through a hard time, you're going to wail. You're going to cry. You're going to be upset. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to complain. But the question is, where do you direct those complaints? We need to have the right volume of our prayers, but also the right direction. Are you crying out? Are you just complaining or are you crying out to him? I'm excited for my next prop. I was also heard from Dr. Terry Wordle at Emerge, and he gave me this illustration. I'm so excited to have a bow on stage. It was weird. I was walking into church just carrying a bow down 59. Like, have you seen a bear? I'm bear hunting. Like, <laughs> I'm glad the cops weren't called. It's just a prop. But <laughs> I know I needed a bow too, and I know who on staff I needed the text. Our facilities manager, I text Jake. We're at church. I'm like, hey, Jake, do you have a bow? He was like, on me? Question mark. Like, no, not on you. You work at a church. Why do you have a bow? Put it down. Like, if you're carrying a bow at church, I need to know so I don't sneak up on you and catch one in the neck. Jeez. He didn't have one on him, but he did have three bows. And I think the lessons to learn from lament, we can learn from a bow. There are things I didn't know. Any, any bow hunters in the room? <laughs> one very excited in the back of the room. <laughs> I didn't know this, but do you know what happens if I pull this and let go? It'll break this. I didn't know what it's called. It's called dry firing. When you don't have an arrow and you pull back a bow and let it go, if I were to just let it go, it'd break this. You know what happens? See, all the tension that's pulled back has nowhere to go. So all the tension and energy from the pull just gets reverberated back into the bow. It has nowhere to go, so eventually it just snaps this. It'll break it because there's no release of all that energy. And that's how I think it is with our laments. We need to fire that arrow. 
If you do not release that, and so much of us, we just wail upon our beds. I can't believe this happened to me. I can't believe this is going on, or that I got this diagnosis, or this at work. And we're just firing that with no lament, with no crying out to God. And we're just wailing upon our beds. I can't believe this. I'm sick of this. And it's going to snap you. If you don't cry out and fire that arrow... All of that energy is just reverberating and it's going to break you from the inside. Fire that. But what he said next really hit me. We need to fire that arrow and lament, but you have to fire it at him. And he said, look, God is the only one that you can shoot that arrow at and it will not harm. How many people are looking to other people in your life and you're just firing those arrows? You will wound them if you're looking to them as your deliverer. Of course we need to share our burdens. I'm not saying that. But ultimately, your lament, your deliverance, if you look to anybody else, your spouse to deliver you, you will harm them. They won't be able to handle it. Only God can handle it. So I want you to be bold but you have to stop just wailing upon your beds and cry out to him. Do you know how to do that? To cry out loudly, boldly, authentically. And someone came up to me after first service, I don't know how to do that. Like there's no rules. It's just telling God your heart, where you're at, what you're feeling, what you think you need from him. And again, it's not like we're trying to harm God. The way I I just thought of this kind of this morning, they're like flaming arrows. You ever see that, you know, when you want to warn somebody in an old movie? It's like shooting flares. I'm not trying to harm God, but God, you need to know what's going on, and you fire those flares, those flaming arrows. So God knows, because he wants to hear that from you. So we need to cry out to him. But if you're going to shoot that arrow at him, You need to concentrate and fix your eyes on him. So we need to cry out, but also concentrate on. Did you see that in the psalm when it began to shift, when he's talking about this lurking lion? And then it kind of turns in the middle, and he says this, Arise, O Lord. At this point, he's just worried about all the lions trying to attack him. And then he stops looking at the lions and starts looking at the Lord. Did you hear it in the psalm where there is kind of a mood shift? The tone of the psalm shifts. One kind of scholar said this that I really like. The mood shifts as David gazes away from the threat of the wicked and looks to his God. In the midst of your trial, have you felt that mood shift in your own soul yet? And maybe because you're concentrating so much on the problem in front of you and not concentrating on the God above you. I want to encourage you. Stop concentrating on the size of what is against you. Start concentrating on the size of the God who is for you. You have your prom- problems and promises of God. If I, want to, if I were to ask you right now, Which one of those has a bigger impact on your emotional and spiritual state? Is it the size of your problem or the size of your God? Even if you don't know anything about the Bible, you probably are familiar with at least one story of David's life. David and 
Goliath, right? Everybody knows that story. So David, again, not king yet, shows up to the battlefield, and God's people are on the battlefield, and they send out Goliath. And God's army is quivering at the size of that man. Anybody watch the NFL draft over the weekend? I watched it too much. I know. I can confess that. One of the craziest parts about the NFL draft is when they say the size of these men. Like, drafted fourth overall. This guy is six foot 12, weighs 700 pounds, and runs a 4'2", 40. You're like, what? Six foot 12 isn't a thing. I know that. I understand. I'm just saying, man, you hear these dudes. So this weekend, you take the biggest nose tackle, offensive tackle, Goliath towers over every one of them. And all of God's army is so consumed with how big their problem ahead of them is, and they're shaking. And here, David steps on the scene. Look, and even in your life, I'm not trying to minimize the problem you're staring at. I'm trying to maximize your view of God in the midst of it. It is a big deal what you're looking at. But you know what is bigger than that problem? The God who is for you. I know that tumor looks huge or your financial debt looks massive. Your addiction seems mountainous, but God has moved mountains. I know that thing you're looking looking at seems so big. Is that bigger than God? One of the hardest parts about this psalm is how much David declares his own righteousness. He says, there's no deceit in my mouth. I have never strayed from your path. Not, I've never slipped. Just seek me out. Search me and know me. I am righteous. And I'm like, yeah, I'm trying. You know the beauty of it is? David, again, that's part of his confidence. I am right. This is wrong. And you are righteous. Let's sort this out, God. You know the beauty we have of Psalm 17? I look back at Psalm 17 through the cross. I don't have to sit up here and say, I'm righteous, I deserve this, because you know what? Maybe not. Maybe I deserve what's coming, but if I give my life to Christ, the Bible says I am forgiven, and the righteousness of Christ applies to me, and I know at that point I'm forgiven, and I am an adoptive child of God. And we can rest in that. So are you focusing on your problem, were you concentrating on the God that it is for you? And here's a beautiful thing that happens to David that I hope it happens to all of us. When he's just firing those flares to God, he looks away from the lions at his Lord, and as he is concentrating on him, he begins to remember who this glorious God is that he serves. Did you remember that verse in the middle of it? Show me the wonders of your great love. You who save by your right hand those who take refuge in you from their foes. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. As you concentrate on him and he fixes his gaze up at God Almighty, you know what he finds out? That as he looks to God, God was looking at him the whole time. If I'm an adoptive child of God, if you are a Christian that has given your life to him, you know where that phrase comes from? 
the apple of my eye. That comes from the Bible. You thought it was Stevie Wonder, didn't you? You are the sunshine of my... It's not Stevie Wonder. We get that phrase from the Bible. If you are a child of God in the midst of your problems, if you look at him, I promise you, you'll see him looking right back at you. You have not fallen into the periphery of God's purview, and he has forgotten about you. And I don't care what's happening that makes you feel that way. If you look at him, I promise, you'll see him looking back at you. It is the pupil, the most precious, focused upon you are. Do you believe that? You're the apple of God's eye. If you are a child of God, he hasn't forgotten about you. Stop focusing so much on this mountain ahead of you that seems insurmountable. You focus on him and you get his gaze staring right back at you. That's where I think ultimately contentment will flow. Boldly, brashly, cry out to God. Start concentrating on God, not just on your problems. And I think ultimately you will feel contentment from God. Part of what happens when David fixes his gaze on God, you could hear eternal perspective start to set in. What he's going through matters, but you see it start to matter less to David. Because he's talking about at the end of the psalm. By your hand, save me from such people, Lord. This is interesting how he describes his enemies, from those of this world whose reward is in this life, in this life alone. That's part of the injustice sometimes, when your enemies who are wrong are succeeding. But then he starts to pity them. You know what? This world is all they have. And David begins to have eternal perspective. Part of our lament is we're missing out on earthly treasures that don't really matter that much. And starts, as David gazes upon God, starts to matter less. And he's like, you know what? I don't really care about these things. I don't really care as much how this turns out for those poor suckers that this world is all they have. He begins to have eternal perspective. Now, he still cares And he cries out for deliverance. But I think the deliverance of God is kind of like a delicious snack from my childhood. Here's what I mean. You remember these guys? Now and laters. As a kid with a weird Pittsburgh twang, I didn't realize those were multiple words. We were always like, can I get now and later, Nat? Like, I didn't realize it was, it's three words, now and later. And I think oftentimes, and I think there's tension in this song. I think God's deliverance oftentimes can have a little bit of both, and sometimes we can get too focused on one or the other. God, you do for me now what I want you to do. And it essentially just becomes a prosperity gospel, and God is just your genie that gives you everything you want now, and there's more to it than that. Again, this is eternal perspective, but I don't want you to think that God doesn't care about your life, and it's just about getting to heaven one day. I will pray for Ryder to be fully healed till the day that it happens. God cares about what you're going through. But we want to have perspective on the now and the later. And I think you see David begin to have that perspective. Because God cares about them both. But ultimately, I want to have eternal perspective. Here's where David closes the psalm. As for me, I'll be vindicated and will see your face when I awake. 
I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. Some people think this is an evening psalm. They they had a rhythm of reading the psalms, and some of them read in the morning and the evening. I'd encourage you, read Psalm 17 before you go to bed tonight. You see that? Probably where they get that, when I wake. And this probably is penned when David is in the evening, and they're in a real sense. Like, when I wake, it's like you're in this nightmare. And maybe you feel that, like, your life is a nightmare, and David knows, okay, in this nightmare, I'm going to wake up, and it's going to get better. And I hope it gets better sooner than later. But biblically speaking, a lot of times when it talks about this sleep, it can be a picture and a metaphor for death. And I don't know, frankly, which one David's talking about, and I think there's elements of both. And whatever you're in, I hope God delivers you from it now. But I know ultimately you will be delivered from it one day. That one day I will die and I'll leave this messed up, messy world and I'm going to see his face. And ultimately, I want all of us to have our contentment in him. I will be vindicated. I will see your face when I awake. I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. Ultimately, David knew where his contentment, where his peace would come from and it is seeing the face of God. Is that where your ultimate contentment is? Contentment from God. The worst times of my life, the darkest days, I didn't get through it because it all got better. I got through it because in the midst of that fire, God would speak to me. I would see him moving. God would reveal himself to me. And I promise you, that is enough. And one day, I pray we could do it now. If your gaze would stop me so much on your problems and your gaze would be on him, transfixed on Jesus' face in that moment when you are staring at him face to face, I promise you in that moment of God's glory and goodness, he will be enough. And would we find our contentment in him? Would you cry out to him? Concentrate on him. I promise you, his contentment and calm will wash over you. You bow your heads and pray with me. Father, so many of us are blinded by the mountain of problems before us. And God, we confess they seem insurmountable. But God, would we fix our eyes to you? Would we gaze above our mountains right now and fix our gaze upon Christ, the one that moves mountains? God, regardless of how things work out in our life, God, would we fix our gaze upon Jesus and trusting that you are enough? And it's in that glorious name we pray. Amen.